you've been demanding it. It's been teased for months. The wait is over. We're here. Slingers Month. As always, I'm Kane Winstead. And I'm Matthew Slinger Dergish. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, a podcast about deep cuts, forgotten classics, and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Today, we are starting out Slingers Month with 1998's Identity Crisis. Let's see. Yeah, uh, this is the genesis of all the costumes that come into play during Slingers. And pretty much the only reason Slingers ties into Spider-Man. You know, for those who don't know... Identity Crisis is a crossover event that spans all four Spider-Man titles at the time. So we've got Amazing Spider-Man 434 and 435, Sensational Spider-Man 27 and 28, Peter Parker's Spider-Man 91 and 92, and Spectacular Spider-Man 257 and 258. There are two prelude issues, Peter Parker's Spider-Man 90 and Amazing Spider-Man 433. But as far as prelude issues go, they're pretty unessential. Um, You get Peter Parker's Spider-Man issue you get how the dusk suit is introduced but it really doesn't play into the identity crisis story what no it definitely we'll get there so the peter parker spider-man chunk is primarily howard mackie with jrjr scott hannah with uh colories by gregory wright and with letters by kiff skull that's howard mackie jrjr and scott hannah credited as story and art collectively Amazing Spider-Man is written by Tom DeFalco, penciled by Joe Bennett, inked by Bud LaRosa, and colored by Bob Sharon, with letters being Kiff Skull on 434 and Richard Starking on 435. Then we have Sensational Spider-Man, which are Hornet issues, some great issues, with, uh, let's see here, script, Todd DeZago, pencils, Mike Wanergo, both of them co-plotted, then inks with Rick Case, colors, good old Gregory Wright coming back again, that man was a powerhouse during this age, and letters with Kiff Skull, man! Uh, Spectacular Spider-Man closes out the block of Identity Crisis. Uh, the first issue was written by Jan DiMatteis. The second issue was written by Glenn Greenberg. Uh, both issues were penciled by Luke Ross, inked by Al Mingrum, colored by John Kalises, uh, yes. and lettered again by Kiff Skull, who I, I was just... Banging him out. Yeah, Doing banging him out. Job. Um, so, all right, that's all the credits. Um, Matt, why don't you tell us uh, where we can get our hands on these fine, fine comics? You mean you didn't buy them back in the day? Uh, All right. I was eight years old. (laughs) I was like 10, man. I I made a nickel. My allowance each week was a nickel. And then... (laughs) Were you cleaning a chimney? (laughs) I was cleaning the entire house. Wow. All right. Um... (laughs) Yeah, so anyways, you can find these comics uh, pretty much across Marvel Unlimited. Uh, you can buy it piecemeal through Comixology. There's a digital trade available for $11, though you'll probably be missing those prelude issues for some unknown reason. And there's physical copies, uh, about 6 to $10 for the non-variant cover issues, because there's some variants, because we had different costumes to sell. This was back before variants were a big thing, so this was like a thing, man. This was cool. Uh, and then like that digital trade, there's that physical trade, just, you know, with Dead Tree. Uh, running about $50, so don't do that, probably. Um, 
did wait did did you say that this was available on marvel unlimited because it's not oh well oh amazing and spectacular unlimited apparently and the rest aren't because marvel unlimited is some weird hodgepodge of availability that's never reliable yeah it's it's strange that these are available on comiXology but marvel does not have them and like it's not it would be strange if it didn't come to expect it every month. <laughs> and and it's not that Marvel isn't like it, they're not Marvel selling it digitally and it's just not on unlimited. They just straight up don't have it. But digital files of this clearly exist. Marvel made them and licensed them out to Amazon slash comiXology. Um so it's just strange that you can't actually just buy it straight from Marvel since I would assume they make more money that way. If we try to puzzle out all the intricacies of the digital marketing side of comic books, we're going to be here all day. That's true. And okay, so speaking of being here all day, let's just dive (laughs) into the context behind uh, Identity Crisis because there's a lot going on. Um, These stories... Are, are like woven into all these stories are kind of like the ongoing plots that are happening in all four of these books. Uh, mm-hmm. So you've got things like Gwen Stacy's uncle and cousin, uh, Norman Osborn's takeover, the bugle spider hunt, which was the crossover that leads into identity crisis. You know, it's the nineties baby. Uh, the most important bit of context though, is to know that Norman Osborn frames Spider-Man for murder. Um, and then, which led to a bounty on Spider-Man and Identity Crisis is Peter's attempt to both clear his name while also continuing his heroics. Um, so that, that's that's kind of the, the lead in. And if you're concerned about jumping in to this comic without reading all four of those stories like back, back issues to get caught up, Identity Crisis is really bad about recapping everything that happens on like the first page. Pretty much of every story is about recapping in sometimes really like artless might not be a fair word to use, but like just exposition heavy, just the the bullet notes. There's that. There's also in the front of all these. This is back when Marvel had that fold cover where you get a little breakdown of your main players and you get a little buildup of what's been going on prior. Plus, you know, Peter Parker was bitten by a radioactive spider (laughs) in game, you know. Yada yada. Well, I mean, that that's if you have the physical issues like you do. Uh, if you're reading the digital trade like I was, you get just literally a page of someone typed out a plot summary for all four of these books oh, and like just explain this is what's going on. Here you go. Have fun. Um, which, I mean, I, I want to back up just a second and talk about the digital trade because that's going to be the most accessible way and the cheapest way to get this. And that's how I read this. Uh, it's pretty good as far as trades go. Uh, like I said, you actually get a write-up, you know, to give you context of the story. And then you get some editor notes in the back showing you each artist's design of the the new, sli- or I'm sorry, the new Identity Crisis costumes and some of their thoughts behind it. My only gripe is that instead of publishing or instead of publishing it so that it's the two stories then the two stories and the two stories it's they publish or the the way the way the book is is put together is you get the first issue of all four stories and then the second issue of all four stories rather than have them you know be in blocks of two well because technically it's supposed to be with the publishing order and some events in some books affect details about the others though minutely and rarely and it would make more sense to go down the uh, title lines i agree but and that's how we're going to cover it yeah that's how we're going to cover it and it it just it makes it a little bit more difficult to follow because like you'll be reading um 
you, you know, you'll be reading one and then you have to think, remember back to four issues prior to remember the events that were going on there and then keep keep everything in line in your head. It's just, there, there's a lot of mental juggling because these stories don't flow together perfect. Like there's there's well, a little bit of crossover, especially with the Ricochet and Dusk uh, stuff. But um, for the most yeah. part, these the all four of these stories stand alone from each other. Well, so uh, I, I think you're trying to split this up in a way different than the way it was actually done at the time. Mm hmm just by a hair so if you if you're to just dive in as i have especially during the day and read this identity crisis stuff you get a snapshot of what's going on in each title each title has different subplots with different side characters to peter parker and so like that stacy stuff that uh kane was mentioning that's primarily in uh peter parker uh, right primarily in peter parker and then you have uh a different you have a different set of side characters focusing on like the robertsons in amazing you know you have this a neighbor character named Hope in Sensational. And so really the books didn't stop going with what they were doing. They just took this idea and each one got a different alter ego to play with. That wasn't Spider-Man, but it just kept going. And it was like this two month diversion with this other wrinkle happening. And they just wove it in with the stories they were telling and kept going. So I think focusing on this like an event comic is maybe the wrong lens and more realized this was a wrinkle they were throwing into all the spider books that was they made it into a sales hook but the way that they sold it or the way they actually wrote it was more about here's this thing happening and instead of having one alternate bizarre identity he takes on four instead and that's bizarre and crazy and stupid and fun and that's just how they went with it and so yeah yeah i, th I think we've started to bleed into the coverage a little bit but I, I will agree that like it's it is it is a fun idea i'm like this is I have not read Identity Crisis before before this, and it was one of those ones that I always wanted to try out, just because like it it seems fun, like all these different costumes and identities and um, takes on Spider Man, but it's still Peter Parker on the inside. Um, I, I I guess do do you want to just do like a quick a quick rundown of what happens in each story or how, how do you want to, how do you want to break this up? I say we break it down and let's, uh, let's pick one of, one of the four and just dive in because it's just going to bleed through otherwise. So, right. um, I mean, th this is your show. So why, why, don't you pick, right. why don't you pick which one that well, we're going to dive into? I, I feel like in my mind, there's two, you could really start with, but I think it really starts with Peter Parker yeah. and dusk. And so we have this prelude issue in which, uh, what's the title? It started on Yancey Street. Again. Again. <laughs> So we're we're getting some illusion of the Fantastic Four, but they don't actually show up, which is interesting that they could play on some of that idea and really, I don't know, really sell that without having the characters show up. I thought that was a fun way to do it and blast through in one issue. Yeah, I mean, it's in this issue, like a black hole opens up on Yancey Street just as Peter and MJ are happen to be walking down it as MJ's complaining that they're going to Yancey Street. And not um, uptown. Yeah, not up. Uh, yeah, I'm and, sure that means something to New Yorkers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure. I was like, yeah, Yancey Street. That's uh, that's some, where the thing lives. Exactly. It's it's you know. Uh, anyway, and so it's clobbering time all the time on Yancey Street. <laughs> you know, Peter jumps in 
and ends up in the negative zone, right? Mm-hmm. And and we get the invention of the black and white inverted suit that uh, just showed up in the video game. Right, which when I play the video game, I just assumed was uh, like the Mr. Negative inverted, but no, I, I guess it's from the negative zone here. Um, I mean, it probably was supposed to be from the Mr. Negative thing. I just... Eh, whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then there's a big war that's happening and i'm gonna be honest i got a little lost by it but well yeah so there's this war happening and spidey jumps in and starts thrashing the people who are getting attacked at least by his perspective and there's this figure in all black duking out and spider-man immediately is like wait so what are we fighting for i want to make sure i don't want to end up on the wrong side of a conflict here which is just this like cutting away the like most standard story for this kind of thing of a hero getting launched into a conflict and ending up on the wrong side because they came in on a conflict at the wrong moment and this is cut away from that. Like, these guys are trying to destroy our universe and to do so to get to your universe, and then they'll do the same to you. And it's like, oh, okay, they're bad guys. <laughs> uh, and then he finds out this figure in black named Dusk is a legacy hero. And the one wearing the costume currently, it's kind of like the shadow, you know, is not the original Dusk. And he's taking the mantle and he's passing it on. And to inspire the end of this war, he gives the costume to Spider-Man to lead them to victory and then move on. So Spider-Man, you know, wins the war too sweet by beating the crap out of Blastar, which is, I don't know my Cosmic Marvel too well, but I think that's big shakes. He's a big angry gorilla man that shoots lasers. I think that's pretty high up there. I mean... (laughs) I, I would I wouldn't mess with him. Yeah, he looks like one of those guys that goes to the gym too much. <laughs> but you know, aside from just the getting the dusk suits, this doesn't really play into identity crisis too much. Except you know, except except once he leaves the negative zone, he's still wearing the dusk costume, and he realizes that like, hey, I can I can wear this costume and keep being Spider Man. Basically, I can keep doing the hero thing. So this is kind of like where he gets the idea to start taking on you're missing the clutch point here he comes out of the portal oh and when the portal happened like there's what three four teenagers that got sucked in that he pulls out Mm -hmm. and there you know he gets a big round of applause when he comes out and everybody's cheering him on and he's like oh okay it's a different like that that gets put together Mm -hmm. and mary jane doesn't recognize him at first and he does a little like uh you know dicko hand signal gives her the horns (laughs) <laughs> the, the flip and, motion yeah uh or the i love you i guess because the thumbs out uh and to, she she's able to cue in but it's from there you know he gets the idea that he can be someone else and do this but also with that tangently at least i think the idea is supposed to be played from here when he's dusk he's trying to take on a different personality and this gets played up later that each one of these heroes he's trying to play a different personality he tries to put on a different voice and, and he's playing in different ways so they really tried to play it up and it really feels like identity crisis should have been three issues per hero because they try to cram a lot across two issues for each of these yeah each one of these oh the only one i say would that reads a little thin is the prodigy uh storyline oh Um, there's a lot of fun stuff uh, yeah like it's it's fun but i i that's the only one that seems like it's like it does what it needs to do in those two pages but yeah i'll agree like especially the ricochet one seems really rushed uh just to try to cram everything into those two issues um so let's keep pushing on dusk okay peter parker so now we're at 91 and dusk is brooding over new york with the spider-man costume in hand which seems like a bad plan uh (laughs) but 
So I should note that this this is Howard Mackey at his best in Spider-Man, and just prior to this by a few issues is one of my favorite runs where he plays up and really elevates the Trapster and Shocker to new heights. And so we're still playing with those characters, and the Trapster ends up becoming a big element in this whole Identity Crisis Spider-Hunt resolution. And we get him very quickly here, and he takes on a number of hand ninjas, which I think is supposed to prove really quickly for people who might have not read that he's relatively badass, but if you get attacked by, like, eight ninjas, it feels like you can just, like, finger flick them and they'll fall over. Eight ninjas get speed up by anyone, right? Right, well, yeah, you've got the uh, inverse law of uh, ninja power, where the more ninjas you have, the weaker they are um and it's based off the pirate law where the more pirates you have the stronger the group of pirates but like so like one one pirate is nothing but like 20 pirates is a huge problem you know one ninja you're 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 you know game over a hundred ninjas you know a drunk toddler could be a hundred ninjas Okay. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. We move on and Peter decides to swing out in the Spider-Man costume to a graveyard to go meet up with uh, Arthur Stacy and Detective Snipes to work on their plan to try to take down Osborne because they all know what's up. They all know Osborne's a creep. He's a weirdo. And what the hell is he doing here? He does not belong he likes there. goblins. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so anyways, uh, Stacy convinces Spider-Man to don the dust costume and go undercover to try to, you know, gain evidence on the trapster to figure out what's going on and, and work on Osborne. And so with this, what we move to is a play on kind of the Batman side of things. It's very directly supposed to be that, like, there's a lot of play with um, him in the dust costume being completely in black and like the smoke will make him appear and disappear. And apparently that's a guy thing, according to MJ. <laughs> I don't know. That was such a weird detail to me. Right. Well, I, I think I think a fun detail to also also note is that um, aside from the dust costume, MJ designs all the other costumes. Yeah, I, that sounds about right. I know there's some note a little bit different, but yeah, like they like she doesn't design the Hornet costume at all. Right. Well, well yeah, because that that's the tech costume, but the Ricochet costume and I believe the Prodigy costume she designs and and puts together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's just how Mary Jane plays into this uh, storyline is this kind of like she supports Peter, but I, I don't know, like it still reads like the writers don't really know what to do with Mary Jane, which I think was a pretty, pretty indicative of what was going on in this um, in this she era. She's supporting him and she wanted him to be wearing the other costumes because she didn't want him going out as Spider-Man and getting shot for what was like a million dollars. Like, Yeah, it was either a million or five million. I think five million was... Yeah, five million. Yeah. But yeah, so that's where she was coming from and so that's mm-hmm. what she was doing. And there's a number of points throughout this arc where she's encouraging him to be a hero and says, you know, that's part of the reason why I like you, which, are, which means they have a better handle on MJ than certain current runs of Spider-Man. So I don't know <laughs> about that Ooh, the shade uh, oh, uh, my God, man. um so anyways back to this trapster guy i, I want to note spider-man's blown away by the fact that uh trapster is climbing walls and he's talking about releasing micro amounts of adhesive to get up and they move on and so as dusk peter isn't talking much he saves trapster from the shocker because they had a falling out because of money basically um and dust gets on trapster's good side and starts bringing him into the circle and we move on to the next one where uh dusk is saving trapster from joey z's men joey z is the guy who died uh to create this whole incident that that was the man who was murdered and was framed that spider-man murdered so yeah trapster and dusk are getting along they're chummy and then when peter gets back home he's taking these long showers and at this point mj is a psych student so 
they make something of a psychoanalysis off of it that's pretty obvious, right? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> it, it's you know what what she says something it's something along the lines like you're taking these showers because you feel dirty uh you know hanging out with the the trapster aka pace pot pete <laughs> um it's the trapster it's the trapster man come on like, i i mean like is trapster really a better name than paste pot pete like Trapster noted his definition of becoming a real villain. Keep in mind, most real supervillains have goofy names anyways. But Pacepot Pete was this goof, this joke, and they were trying to make him more of a threat. And that evolution, the fact that when people start calling Pacepot Pete, he'd start kicking their butt. This was a good era for this character. And then they just kind of threw it all away because Nick Spencer decided to conveniently forget it, as Nick Spencer does with a number of things. But we're talking about older comics right now. Wow, just, you know, let, let, let your opinions be known. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right, so, I mean, you know, the the, uh, the issue basically ends up with um, Pacepot Pete, oh, I'm sorry, the Trapster, and, and Dusk going to confront Norman, unbeknownst to the Trapster, Pete, uh, I'm sorry, Spider-Man slash Dusk is wearing a wire, and they're trying to get Norman to admit to using the Trapster to fake the web fluid that they found in Joey Z's lungs um, mm-hmm. in order to frame Spider-Man. And they more or less are able to get the... Um, well, and more importantly, Trapster is the guy who actually killed r- Right, Joey yeah, Z. yeah. Trapster is the one who killed Joey Z. And they more or less get the confession, but Trapster kind of flies off the handle and starts straight up murdering Osborne. And it looks like he's going to succeed, but then Dusk slash Spider-Man jumps in you know they they tussle a little bit the wire gets ruined but uh they they kind of have a second idea where trapster just goes on the record and and admits to killing joey z and clear spider-man's name which i should know with all the build-up with the various villains and characters going on here this doesn't just wrap this up for identity crisis this is a major point and really a big resolution for what's been going on in peter parker's spider-man at this time as well so it really all folds together and like the fact that peter did this undercover thing is not his deal and you feel that throughout the comic um so it was kind of this dire moment where he had to go beyond his normal means and pushed it and and this identity, this different costume kind of helped that along. Kind of the way Spider-Man lets Peter Parker be more boisterous. Uh, yeah. Here, Dusk lets him be more duplicitous. Right. I just... And I, I, I guess that, that that's the interesting part about this uh, this comic is, is to see which elements of Peter kind of come out um, in which costume. Like with the Prodigy costume, he decides to be like the more like golden age hero type. So... Um, he essentially just becomes like a, a Superman analog and like we're talking like the old school Superman where uh, he doesn't fly. He jumps. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Right. Right. Which is where we get, you know, leaps over buildings in a single bound, though. I, I think the way they played off in the comic, it, he kind of makes it look like he's flying. <laughs> which ends up a little goofy on on page. Um, All right. So, yeah, let's move to spectacular. Okay. So we're talking about the the prodigy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So this one has to do with like an assassination plot, right? Like, I mean, it starts there and he swings in, well, jumps in as prodigy and just, yeah, plays golden age Superman, basically. Uh, His cost. I mean, the thing is, is that he looks bulletproof because he has this bulletproof chest thing that allows the bullets to pop off and the rest of him is just like gold. Mm -hmm. 
So he's a little golden hero boy. <laughs> and is he he's playing it up, yeah, talking talking like a golden age superhero, so he's he sounds like a rube. I don't know. Well I mean well, I mean, like, he, I think he even notes a few times as like, wow, I'm really hamming this up. Um, yeah. Or like, it, it's commented on. So, that, like, there was a little meta commentary that, like, acknowledging the cheese and acknowledging that, that he's cheesing this up. He's like, I would never say lines like this as Spider-Man. But he's playing into that idea as Prodigy and the people are eating it up. Like, well, yeah. So he's playing off of old comics he read with Uncle Ben is the way that they're saying it, which is weird because Super, Superman and Spider-Man have met. Anyways, uh, so J- Jameson is loving Prodigy. He's like, this is a real hero, you know. And then Norman, who or- owns the Bugle at this point, and that's played up mostly in Spectacular, is seeing how he could try to manipulate this guy to try to get at Spider-Man because he feels like this is someone who's not very bright. <laughs> And so, yeah, you have, but you have this public adoration for him as this golden hero. And uh, yeah, it's the simplest of the personalities, I think. Right. And so anyway, yeah, yeah. So, so the plot of this is that you have this ambassador from a, you know, vaguely Middle Eastern, North African uh country i, b- I believe uh, Suf- sufinid sufinid which mm-hmm. uh, whatever <laughs> uh, yeah there's a kidnapping of this royalty and jack-o'-lantern and this um puzzled face villain is involved not jigsaw but like no 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 conundrum like the conundrum face... is is the character yeah. yeah so the face literally rotates with different pieces to like assemble it like a rubik's face. cube very, very bizarre character that i hadn't seen before or since right you know I don't know if maybe they were trying for something weirdly Silver Age. Um, I got the vibe that they are going for some, like, yeah, just straight villains that they could have mm-hmm. this go to. Also, we should note, you know, uh, in here, a bigger part of this uh, this first issue is Aunt Anna uh, had accused Peter of cheating on MJ. And she now confronts Peter again to say how sorry she is and talks about her duplicitous past where she cheated on her man and was, like, projecting that onto Peter. And Peter's like, it's all good and that's done no drama there really when it's all said and done it is it's a very bizarre three pages yeah it, it just kind of ends but you know i and i guess that's why i said this one this one reads a little thin is just because most of the conflict is this battle between uh conundrum and jack-o'-lantern number 800 i mean whichever one this is it's hard to keep track of which jack-o'-lantern is currently alive um but we we get this like really trippy uh battle where you know kind of like mysterio-esque where the the villains grow in size or prodigy shrinks he gets eaten you know devoured he it gets tossed yeah. around inside and then like explodes out of uh jack-o'-lantern's chest and and so yeah so peter even makes a note in his head like oh i'm trying to fight like prodigy but i am spider-man and so he goes and relies on his spider senses and people and the the villains are trying to figure out how he's like sensing around all their weird trickery and he's basically just lobbing cornball lines at them and slugging him in the face problem solved (laughs) Uh, and then they make a big deal about the fact that for this costume peter put on a prosthetic nose uh yes it's uh they they talk about that in the in the uh the notes at, at the end in the um collected edition when they're making this costume 
They realized too much of Peter's face was going to be exposed, which I think in the original notes of this costume, the hair was out. And I don't know, I don't know if it was a full face mask or bodysuit like like this one is. I think the face was exposed. And so they added a prosthetic nose to throw off people's uh perception. And then I guess later they decided just add, you know, the, the full body mask. Um, but kept the nose anyway because they thought that was a, a fun addition. I, I'm not sure. But yeah. Yeah, just the nose gets ripped off at one point <laughs> um yeah so he's uh, he's running around with uh it just his like nose hanging off or hanging out of the mask it's a weird look but we uh we end the, huh, what the conclusion of this one's kind of funny because the crime is solved the the kidnappy is returned and it doesn't have any big revelation to the whole spider hunt thing like basically prodigy has to take a compliment from osborne well, and move on no it, it kind of does because prodigy says while i was in like the jack-o'-lantern's lair i found this spider-man costume there and so that suggests oh. that either conundrum or jack-o'-lantern uh you know disguise themselves as spider-man uh in order to to frame him and like because Which, prodigy has this reputation of being like you know the the golden child you know uh, everyone believes him even though it was a plan yeah even though it was, it was a lie yeah, it was a lie spider-man lied <laughs> well is that morally okay right and uh, and i mean like this is the issue that ends out the spider hunts like you, you get the, the last the second to last page, rather, has a Daily Bugle headline that says, Spider-Man cleared of all charges. Osborne saves Prodigy's life, recovers priceless gem. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then we find out Jack-O-Lantern and Osborne are in cahoots, which, hey. Right. It's just whatever. Um, so, so okay. Was, did you have any other notes on the Prodigy story? I do feel it's the thinnest of them. No, no, no. I'm, I'm done. All right. So then we should move on to Amazing. But before we get to Ricochet, we should make a few notes because there's another prelude issue where Mr. Hyde shows up to crash uh, the Robertson's retirement party. Woo! <laughs> uh, so yeah, Robbie Robertson's retiring. That's the bigger note on this comic, but it doesn't really play into what we're talking about as much here. It also doesn't stick, but... <laughs> Well, obviously. Uh, but yeah, Mr. Hyde comes in and Peter needs to stop him but can't show up as Spider-Man. So he steals his buddy's hoodie, pulling his best Luke Cage, but he, he's referencing Ben Riley because it's Spider-Man in a hood. But it's just a green hood. So it's just Peter Parker in a green hoodie wearing a suit underneath, basically, or dress clothes, and saves the day... And moves on. It really doesn't play much to the whole identity crisis thing. And I don't think plays much to the idea of him donning another identity at all. Mm -hmm. Like the amazing Bagman's more of a separate identity than this thing. I don't know. I don't know if you had any notes on this one. On the prelude issue? I didn't yeah. read it. <laughs> well boom okay it really it's kind of a nothing burger of an issue unless you really care about the robertson uh subplot which is actually the majority of the issue really it's like half and half so that's cool so let's move on to the fun stuff with ricochet the duplicitous scoundrel of the underworld <laughs> So, yeah. Right. Spider-Man, yeah, pulls up this Ricochet costume, which I think when you move to the Slingers is the most changed costume. Uh, uh, a that. little bit. Um, You know, the, the hair color's changed a little bit, but for the most part, it stays the same as far as I remember. The entire, like, chest jumpsuit thing changes pretty drastically. Uh, okay, well, it, it looks right. Uh, I get, the jacket is the most striking part of the, of the suit, and the jacket stays the same. Yeah, with the discs on the side, which is his... Functional discs. <laughs> they 
they ricochet, mm-hmm. man. That's that's all in the name. Um, yeah, he ricochets around with his amazing athletic ability, as said in the comic. <laughs> you know, I, I'm gonna say, like, as far as like this comic goes, the ricochet costume and like persona, I guess, was my was my favorite, which also carries over into Slingers. But I don't know. It's just yeah. it's just, it's a cool look. Um, throwing discs around is a little silly, but um, it's still dynamic to look at. Those discs saves his life in this final fight here. Hey, hey I mean, you're right. They do. Um, I like. Okay, so this issue starts out in the middle of a fight. Uh, Ricochet is beating up some goons who are stealing not Beanie Babies. I mean, I, I think Bear Babies are yep. what they're called in this one, but like they're clearly Beanie Baby analogs. Which, oh my god, because it's the nineties. I was say, what a throwback. <laughs> um, oh gosh. Anyway, <laughs> uh. So then, then, then we like launch into kind of a flashback to what's been going on in Amazing, which is the entry of the Black Tarantula, who's kind of like a new mob boss that wiped the floor with Spider-Man and unmasked him and stole stole his, stole the mask as a trophy. Didn't care who was under the mask, just wanted the trophy. And you forgot the coolest part. He's an immortal super being. Well, I mean, that, that's revealed later. But yeah, he's an immortal super being mob boss of like Spanish descent. Uh, he teams up with the Rose. But I mean, that plays into this issue, but it definitely feels like it doesn't really fit in with the rest of this Um yeah, the the managing of what was going on in Amazing at the time versus uh, fitting in this identity crisis thing is maybe the most haphazard because it's a major move for that story, but it feels it, it, it's harder to parse than the rest. Right, it, just it, coming in. Amazing doesn't stand alone as well as the other three stories. It like it, it has its arc, but it's clearly an arc, or it's clearly a part of a larger arc that we don't get a resolution to in this story. Um. You know, it, we, it's where we get the background for the Black Tarantula, but we never see the resolution of that, of that story. I think one of the more interesting parts of this is the, the Robbie Robinson part. And, like, he's using his, uh, like, vacation, his European vacation really to go, like, semi-undercover and do some research on, oh, God, what, what was her name? The... The Osborne, like, flunky that stole the Parker baby. Right. Right. She turns up and is, like, being, like, abducted by a suicide cult. Some creepy white guys in cloaks, which how they got around without being noticed is beyond me, because you'd notice these guys. Right. Um... Right, and then they, you know, they they pay her for her involvement with the clone saga, and then uh, attempt to assassinate her by exploding her boat home yacht thing with a bomb in the money. They never meant to pay her. They're bad exactly. people. Um, trying to kill someone who kidnapped the baby. <laughs> so you know. Meanwhile, uh, you know, uh, you've got Ricochet looking into the black tarantula, and then he meets up with Delilah, who is kind of like a, a brick style superhero uh you know super strong super tough she also has this weird predilection for instead of having like bolded text like you see in lettering in comics she speaks normally Mm -hmm. except for her bolded text is like three times the point size of the of the regular fonts and in some sort of like stylized fantasy script I don't know what... And in some oh, color. Oh, yeah, and in a random, and in a random color. color. 
what do you think the letterer was trying to impart here? Um, because I didn't understand it. And going back to what I was saying at the top of the episode, it kind of pulled me out of every scene she was in. Um, I, I think, I think he was just trying to give this character a different flair. And I think he was trying to impart the idea that she had some more elegant or regal tone to her voice that came out more when she was shouting or something is the idea I was getting. It's super weird. See, my, I thought it might've been implying some sort of like vaguely European accent. Oh, when I said regal and whatnot, I guess you could take that as <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's the, the colonialist in you coming out, you know, just that wow. deep-seated right. uh, subservience to, to, to Europe. <laughs> Sorry. Jeez. Uh, you know, this is a, an American podcast where we're all about freedom and, uh, you know. Whatever, swamp rat. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, also, can we just talk about how like '90s uh, Delilah's costume is? So she's got like the weird high waisted or you know um, high waisted unitard looking thing with thigh high boots with some pouches and throwing knives, some chrome shin guards. Um, it's just practical. Yeah, like some shoulder guards, and then like. They're not really shoulder guards. They're just uh, lines. Over yeah, the it's it's a weird mix. Those are natural. Those are natural shoulders coming up. She's a, she's one buff lady for sure. She's got kind of like the Amazonian thing going on. Um, She'll hold you tight at night and make you feel safe. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, so when Ricochet first sees her, because he's trying to be this more like. I don't know, scandalous guy. He just says, Hoochie Mama. <laughs> God, and I forgot about that. That's how they're trying to play it up. So they're basically trying to play Deadpool light with Ricochet at this right, point. Yeah. The, Ricochet is definitely, you know, Ricochet, reading Ricochet it, now kind of plays off how Spider-Man has been written in like recent years where he's a lot more jokey, a lot more uh, goofy and sp- spastic might not be the right word but uh ricochet is spastic well yeah yeah for sure um but uh you know immature might be a little strong but bordering on that um yeah anyway but yeah yeah so so we get things like hoochie mama um uh yeah so the short of it is that uh ricochet decides to team up with delilah kind of the way dust decided to team up with trapster to try to get at this black tarantula character right and so that, that kind of leads us into our second issue which introduces a fearsome twosome of uh henchmen for the black tarantula blood scream and rough house Oh, uh, which can we talk about how '90s those names are? And I love them. Blood Scream is some sort of like oh. vampire-looking dude who has, you know, I don't. They never really explain what his powers are. It's like some sort of psychic something. It like shuts down your brains and causes you to like bleed ever like out of out of your face. And he screams he, and there's blood. It's all in the name. And then Roughhouse is just your standard big well, dumb brute. Let, let's check you. Roughhouse is 80s. Okay, come on. <laughs> uh, He's a guy in a suit with a lot of hair named Roughhouse. Come on, that's like Swayze all over. <laughs> you're thinking of uh, Roadhouse. Well, they can't say Roadhouse now, can they? <laughs> well, Roughhouse doesn't rip out anyone's throat. So, you know, we, we can't 100% be there. But it, they're, they're still, they're a fun, goofy kind of like you know, twosome that you saw a lot, kind of like a, I don't want to say like a, a, a bebop and rock steady because they don't quite have that dynamic. 
Um, but like blood scream talks, and they're not tearing through time. Yeah, they're not yeah, tearing yeah, through time. Tearing the time but like blood scream talks in this like really elevated, like you know, six dollar word. He really loves his thesaurus kind of thing. Uh, Roughhouse is dumb, like you kind of would expect him to be. Um, it's it's fun. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's definitely the most enjoyable aspect of this uh, of of this comic, and it, it kind of plays into the more playful nature of Ricochet. Uh, we also have the one man team up in this issue, where Ricochet bounces like in and out of the shadows, and then like quick changes into the other identity costume, like identity crisis costumes, yeah. to like bound out of the shadows and like punch someone as prodigy or then he like jumps out and punches or like kicks him as hornet so it looks like there's a big team up happening but it's actually just spider-man really cutting loose with that spider speed which is weird because in every one of these issues there's some scene with him changing it shows how it takes time and how it's not as easy for him to get into these costumes as it is the spider-man right and i mean like especially I, i think in one of the the sensational no i'm sorry it's in um Peter Parker's Spider-Man 90, there's a scene where he gets confused and he's he like wears he puts on like the the pants of Prodigy and then the the ricochet jacket and he's got like one Spider-Man glove. Like he he puts on all the costumes on accident. Um so well, it's just a goof for Mary Jane. He's just joking around. But in that vein, when he's switching costumes in this issue, we get a big confirmation. He wears those white oh, yeah, tights. Yeah. Spider-Man is in fact a briefs, not a boxer's man. <laughs> yep. Like all good well, heroes. I, I, he's changed because then in the Dan Slot, uh that first uh Spider-Man number one for volume three, he gets caught naked and he's got the boxers on. So at some point, who knows, maybe that's the big chapter one change up is that Spider-Man starts wearing the boxers instead of the briefs. Gotta roll off the times, uh, I guess. I mean this is this is your your deep cut um observations you know made by your your beloved untold spider-man anyway god we still have the hornet uh, we still have the hornet issue to talk about oh my god these things never end all right so let's let's jump to this hornet because the hornet stuff is right well i I mean i just also want to like just point out that this is what this is where this is where the amazing spider-man stuff ends like there's no resolution to this um to the the black tarantula stuff uh, you yeah that's, that's, that's later. later you get you get his backstory but that's it so you know it doesn't add to the identity crisis story or the spider hunt backstory and it doesn't finish the arc that it you know sets out to it, or it yeah anyway so it just ends so yeah so let's jump to the sensational hornet okay, yeah which starts out with the looter big cuts here who has this gun thing hooked up to a rock i guess and he keeps going on and on about how great it is and he's anthropomorphized the rock this part's definitely played up for a laugh like we're, we're laughing yeah. at the looter um he's clearly off his rocker and he's breaking into I mean, the uh to the bugle to steal the the rants or no, i'm sorry the the bounty money for spider-man yeah and then the hornet shows up and takes him down pretty much without them actually showing it. It's just presumed. And what's crazy is we find out this Hornet suit was designed by the Prowler. And 
basically there's this uh what do you call it a hover backpack it's not a jet pack because it's not a jet but it basically vibrates and keeps them afloat but it'd be too heavy for mere mortal men but for spider-man it's fine and so he has this suit and then he uses like the stingers that uh ben used before he got turned to a pile of ash except he didn't clone conspiracy uh <laughs> And so yeah, the uh, the hornet basically just takes Luter down, no no big shakes, and then gets tripped up by the vulture just by getting feathers caught in his hover hover whatnot. He has to pull off the glove and thwip his way to safety. Uh, but th- there's a moment at the end of this first hornet issue where the hornet says, "Well, you're not gonna have to worry about Spider-Man anymore." And basically everyone assumes that means like the hornet killed Spider-Man on the DL or something. Right, and th- this angers the vulture because he's still angry about life theft which was an arc that happened previously we'll have to cover someday yeah which we're probably going to cover someday uh where the vulture steals spider-man's youth and becomes young himself and then you know spider-man obviously undoes that and so vulture's still kind of like angry about this and then he sees that you know the hornet strongly implies that you know oh you don't have to worry about spider-man anymore and everyone like like you said takes that as the hornet killed spider-man and now vulture is angry and has it out for hornet because he's like you you took you took my revenge like that was that was gonna be my thing goofy and then 90s fantastic four and 90s avengers are keeping an eye on him now oh and 90s heroes with heroes for hire so you know right it's just he's you know hornet has attracted the attention of the the superhero community because of this johnny storm shows up and kind of gives him a warning and uh just as norman osborne is about to present a big check to uh hornet as like for his appreciation for you know saving flash thompson's life because he was uh, wrapped up with the looter when the looter came to attack the bugle the vulture attacks and they kind of get into a tussle um, and then not having a voice and not playing different uh peter's slips into just kind of his normal quips while taking on the vulture basically calling him vulchy is what tips off the vulture that oh it's just spider-man in a different suit and then he cries out and then norman hears it and then norman's very upset with the hornet and has there's one panel with just the best norman osborne face yeah, I mean, it, it's so Norman's idea is that he sees the Hornet as like some dupey newbie that he can kind of manipulate into doing what he, and he like realizes like this guy could be easily made into a pawn for my games and then like prodigy, right? Like prodigy. And then Spider Man or Hornet, Hornet, aka Spider Man, realizes that this is what Norman is trying to do and has in his mind that he's going to be the one playing Norman. But when he fights with the vulture and the vulture kind of reveals that like, oh, the Hornet is Spider-Man. No one believes the vulture, but Norman Norman kind of gets the idea like, oh, okay, so this is what's going on. Like Norman believes and understands him. And so, yeah, he gives this like great Norman Osborn, just angry face. Uh, yeah. And then we get some momentum with kind of the B plot that's been happening through Sensational, in particular with Hope, who's this next door neighbor, who's this... Uh, mute i think she's uh, deaf i thought or deaf yeah. sorry it's well she's she's deaf and mute so uh, and then she kind of has implied that she's pieced together that peter parker is spider-man and then 
we kind of end the uh, the issue on uh, Peter telling MJ like, hey, you know, like Hope said something to me this morning. And, you know, the, the implication is that we're going to get complications by this little girl next door kind of figuring out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. But it's, you know, not tune in yeah, next yeah, time. Peter month. has to kill her. <laughs> not, not, not quite. God, okay, but there um, we go. That, that's that's all four yeah. of those issues. Holy. So <laughs> yeah, sorry. This was mostly summary, but uh, here's where more of the fun stuff comes in. Right. Kane, did you feel this was a Spider-Man story? Uh, okay, so yes and no. Like no, because like you know, it's Spider-Man clearly doesn't show up, but yes, because this really does a good job of diving into peter parker as a character and not necessarily the same beats we normally see when we see peter parker as a character normally when we're talking about exploring peter parker we explore his idea of guilt we explore the the power and responsibility dichotomy uh you know that or or the parker luck aspect we never really dive into his personality uh and and kind of more the more positive aspects of that and and his the positive aspects of his psyche um so we see kind of we see his motivations you know uh and we see that just because he's spider-man not spider-man doesn't mean he has to stop being a superhero and it's interesting on on those those parts and then for the people who like you know the the super gadget element of the character you get a lot of that in the hornet uh you get some of that in the ricochet with like the ricochet discs or whatever so we see different elements of the character that might not get touched on as much, especially in these well, eras. I'd argue a little differently. I get, I think we get to see how Peter Parker plays Spider-Man through these issues, because by him trying to be these other superheroes, we see that when he tries to put on the darker, more like um, noir or pulpy-esque thing with Dusk, it makes him feel dirty. It feels wrong to him. We see when he tries to play the straight golden boy superhero, that doesn't fit either, and it's a bit of a goofball thing. We see with Ricochet which is probably the closest you know like he's doing some stuff that's kind of dubious but also is in line and ultimately trying to get the bad guy but he's becoming more of a scoundrel than the way that spider-man's played and then with hornet we get if he was kind of more of a tech hero and why that doesn't work and how spider-man ends up revolving to kind of his more scrappy nature and the stuff that works with his nature and so we see this contrast to all these different things and why peter parker being spider-man just fits so well despite the fact that all these other creations have a lot of positive aspects to them in some ways does things that he you know he could try to implement to his spider-man persona more he just doesn't and because it's not him it's not what works and that's a big reason why i love this story and why i think the brevity of it helps but i I do think we could have spent a little more time with it a couple of these stories definitely could have used another issue to kind of dig in especially the ricochet one because we never really get the difference of the duplicity there versus what he was doing as dusk which i feel was was a tighter story and worked better for it right um the dusk story is definitely the tight of these all i mean it's also the one that ties in best with the whole theme of the Mm -hmm. uh of the story um yeah so all right how would how would let's 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 do this how would you rank these stories within identity crisis oh amongst themselves for me it would go the dusk or peter parker issues to hornet or sensational then probably to i'd honestly say probably the amazing uh prodigy then ricochet uh spectacular being last okay that's that's not what i was expecting uh for me it would be you know the dusk first 
just just clearly uh the second being ricochet just because i really like that second issue and and that's you know the the play off of ricochet uh rough house and blood scream it's just it's it's goofy fun in the right way um next is hornet i just like i'm not really big on tech heroes uh, the, the, the story on this one felt a little, a little rushed and a little thin, like the hook wasn't quite developed enough for me to truly understand. And I, I kind of wanted to see a little bit more back and forth, uh, you know, 4d chess between, uh, Spider-Man and Norman Osborn here. And then the last being, cause there's not a million of those comics well, everywhere. There, well, but that, that's the thing is, yeah, there are a lot of those around, but like this is the only one with that inversion where Peter is the one who has the leg up on Norman. Like, he, like oh. he's the one who has that the, the thing in his pocket. Uh, and so that would have been a really interesting inversion to see how that plays out with these characters. But, you know, it's it's you know, it's still a serviceable story as, as we got it. Uh, the last being Prodigy, just because you know it's it's a little one note as far as you know the prodigy persona oh, goes yeah. and um but i love that note but like you know how, okay. how, how it, it's a mysterio story but without the fun parts of mysterio um yeah, yeah. We, we'll need to talk more mysterio someday but that's that's a very separate right thing. we really need to do a mysterio story we i can't believe we haven't done there's one not yet. that many is what it comes yeah. down to when you boil it down so uh all right for you would this be reissued or untold it's it's i mean it's a hard question because (laughs) well no no all right no it's a hard question because it's so all over the place as far as the four stories go because like the more and more i think about it the more the the stories feel divorced from each other and so like it's okay it's not one i would recommend someone who's not familiar with the character to read it's not one that like it's not like a craven's last hunt where like you just well, the <laughs> number one spider-man story of all time according to a number of lists gosh yeah no it's not <laughs> what that I meant by that is like it's not a story that you can just is. jump into as a new reader or an old reader and really appreciate it's one that that requires i i think a little bit more knowledge and background in the character to really glean um the 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 merits of this story on if you just jump into this as a new reader it's like the nuances are going to go over your head uh you know like like the stuff that you were talking about like this is really a story that lets you see how peter parker plays spider-man if you go and read this as a new reader you're you're not going to see that Um, i don't care about new readers this is about the mayu of the 90s like yeah this isn't where you hop skip and jump from this is for someone who enjoys the character more and is looking for an oddity point along the series some crazy thing they cooked up with as they're trying to create a million ideas right well i certainly when we're talking about if something needs to be you know reissued or untold i i I feel like the you know a caveat of like is this new reader appropriate is 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 acceptable because there are some you know some deep cuts that are better appreciated by people who have a strong background in the character and i feel like that's just that's what the story is well i also feel like if you're a newer person coming into spider-man if you've been digging through some of the multimedia like these costumes are brought up in the video games pretty often they're referenced 
in media much more than you think they would be. And so to find out what the heck was going on or what's with all these suits that aren't Spider-Man being tied to Spider-Man, like coming in and figuring that out is a fun, you know, looking glass into a moment of time in Spider-Man that, comics. That's fair. So. I, okay, I, let, let's say this. If you're looking for a 90s Spider-Man comic that has nothing to do with clones, but like you still want kind of like a grand storyline, I, I feel like this is a really strong entry. Like this is probably the best one I would point you toward for for. 90s stuff what would you say yeah. yeah i think you're overthinking this the trade's going for 50 dollars. they really should reissue okay it. yeah that, that, that's fair um well i mean no <laughs> the, the, the physical trade's going for 50 dollars. you can get the the digital yeah. one for 11 and let's if be physical trade's going for 50 you reissue it because there's money to be made boom <laughs> problem solved there we go okay yeah you're right all right all right so yeah reissue <laughs> let's, let's reissue this um, all right so for its strengths for its weaknesses mm. where on our web of rankings would you place God. this untold okay. gem from the 90s oh, man i feel like we were gonna come to like blows over this um so <laughs> overall i enjoyed this as a novelty uh oof, oof. you know i enjoy this story as a novelty is this a story I'm ever going to want to like revisit regularly or like within the next three years? Yes. No. <laughs> oh, that's right. Um, I would put this above Marvel team up. Um, the Wraith, the the Wraith Marvel team up below that spectacular Spider-Man 215 216 despite the fact that that's a 90s story and I just said this was a this is a good example of a 90s story but like those are two different 90s stories um so yeah I was looking a bit I higher you were. In, I, I uh I was looking down so you know you start off the child within no 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 that has more merit spider manga is just too much fun vibes is such a strong issue but then you get to that uh who is that goblin I saw you with bit which uh, that was some fun goblin stuff but man you know I feel like this is maybe around there and I put this above pumping up no, okay. This was more fun than some hands. Yeah, no, okay, no, that, that's good. I, I would put this above pumping up. And then we've got family business uh between spectacular and pumping up, which is again a weird one because it I think is a lot is elevated on our list just because of the the presentation is, is oh it's a pretty yeah, book. Pretty but there book. is some pretty there's there's an amazing panel with Hornet in particular that has that like amazing fantasy, you know, cover with right. the goon well, thing. Yeah, but yeah uh, Hornet, we that was great. There's a lot of really good art we didn't really touch on the art in this uh, in Identity Crisis. Uh, which I feel I feel is probably a misstep because the art in this is really good. You know, I don't I don't want to oh, say yeah. like for the era, but like no, um, JRJR is my favorite Spider-Man artist, and he does the dust stuff. And it's like I think this is like great. yeah, like this JRJR stuff for dusk I think is better than when he was working for JMS. Like this is hmm. Um, hmm. don't know about that, but I'm not gonna right. No, I, it's well, I, <coughs> I I prefer it. You know, the, the, these issues. I think it's just it's just really well done. It's definitely in his style, but a lot of the time uh, in his uh, JMS run, you start to see where he's looking like he might be getting a little rushed. Uh, some of the faces start to not real; they don't look super tight. Um, like that Doctor Doom tier was just perfectly rendered. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> just threw me off my game. Um, <laughs> But like it's just like every, everything, uh, the art in the, all these books is just really tight. Yeah, like the uh, the Hornet stuff was just the right level of cartoony to really sell that the Hornet stuff. Um, 
you know, the, the only one I would really, uh, I, I guess, say was serviceable at best was the Prodigy stuff, which was just kind of rote superhero. Well, not rote, but, you know, just standard fare. Uh, nothing that would really wow me, but it was still competently done. Um, anyway, we're, again, God, we're straying way off topic. But yeah, okay, no, I, I'll agree. I would put this above popping up. We'll, we'll, we'll put, uh, we'll put, we'll put this above popping up. So this is our new number four. No, I'm sorry, number five. Uh, so wow, we were finally, finally pushed pumping up out of the top five. It only took 22 and, episodes. <laughs> but man, I mean, what a thing to be bumped down by. Identity Crisis is just one of those spider moments, I think, that stand right. out. It, it's, it is a fun issue. Um, You know, I, anyway, let's, let's. So, so Kane, what are so we talking Matt, about next month? You mean next yeah. episode? We're talking about it. We're talking about them slingers. All, all Woo! 14 issues, zero Woo! through number 13. Um. Woo! You know, we're going to be doing it a little differently. Uh, I, I think, again, you know, I, I think trying to cover the entirety of of the show or the entirety of the run within like one episode. Are you saying we should just do 15 episodes on the Slingers? Absolutely not. Um, oh. You know, we're, we're still going to talk about, you know, the story at large. But I, you know, if you, if you're gonna be looking for us to do kind of like an a issue by issue breakdown, uh, that's just not gonna work out. It, I it's mean, not gonna happen on that one. Plus, it Slingers reads as kind of a magnum opus, kind of just this entity you need to just take in as one full story and enjoy yeah, it, every beautiful. You moment. know, it, it's definitely something that needs to be read in its entirety. It's it's not one to kind of like pick and pluck arcs out of uh, because I mean it it, it was written as a miniseries and it was it reads as a miniseries much like watch right yeah yeah exactly um yeah yeah i, I would i would i would compare slingers and Watchmen. yeah yeah that's exactly where i was going um <laughs> or v for vendetta or mouse or yeah, you know please note the dripping sarcasm from my last comment what? i'm dead serious oh, oh yeah i know you're dead serious often compared um yeah uh Anyway, so the subtle tones, the themes brought up through the book represent not just superheroes, but humanity <laughs> and what we can take away to become better people from art. It's <sighs> okay. Um, yeah, so we got King slingers just eyes at me. and then after the slingers, we've got that special surprise that we're, we, we've got waiting for you. Uh, we're we're going to spring it on you. Uh, you guys need to get excited, though, because it's uh unprecedented i don't i don't think anyone's ever been able to do this before no yeah, no this is no one this is stay yeah, tuned stay tuned because this is gonna if, if you're a fan of the slingers this is this is huge. same slingers time same slingers channel thanks everyone for tuning in you can follow the show on twitter and facebooks for updates and more uh, we also have the Patreon, uh, $3.99 a month grants you access to our Spider-Man B-Title reviews, the Amazing Spider-Talks, Amazing Spider-Man reviews, as well as the VIP channel and our Slack community, the Amazing Spider Slack. Uh, we have a second tier as well, which gets you uh, commissioned artwork from Spider-Man artists you can't get anywhere else twice a year. That's a $10, uh, $10 tier. Uh, we've got links for all of those things in the show notes. Uh, we also want to give a special thanks to the Ellie Badge for providing our theme song. If you want to listen to more from them, check out them show notes. <laughs> Matt, Matt, yeah. if our dear listeners want to follow you on the internet, where can we do it? You can find me on the Twitter twatters at MagicalMatt42, or you can check us on our very own dedicated Twitter account to this podcast at Untold Talks SPMN, where we're, we're doing all the hot toy talk right Yeah, now. all the hot toy talk. Um, 
You can also find me on Twitter at, at Kane Writes. Um, so, until Pace Pot Pete finally lifts down his name, Meg oh, Mine Untold. Shots fired. <laughs>